Let's go on. We are almost done with Nehemiah. Isn't that exciting? Um, been on Nehemiah for 14 weeks. That's a very long time, especially if we took one week after Easter. Uh, so it's been a very long time we've been in the book of Nehemiah. We went through the gates. We, we have this sermon next week. We, we set up and we finish up with Nehemiah. Then we're going to start our next series called Shut the Front Door. We're going to talk about the ways the devil's getting in our lives and walking right through the front door. So we're going to do that. But uh, last week we talked about the fact that Nehemiah came here and you would think that everybody in the area would just be so happy to hear that this broken down, I mean, picture this, if you have a broken walls, they're crumbled, it's fallen around, it, it looks derelict, it looks, you know, run down, kind of like a lot of cities around here, we drive through sometimes, you see bricks falling out of buildings, and here comes somebody with money from the Persian king, in order to fix it up, you think everybody go, oh great, you know, that eyesore is finally going to get fixed, but no, no, instead he meets a lot of opposition, because the problem with the wall is that it was symbolic of the pride and the security of Israel. You know, this is a wall around the city of Jerusalem. And so when there's no wall, there's no defense. When there's no defense, there's really no city. Not in those days, because you're just like a village. You're not a city. But when you start rebuilding the wall, people start seeing, uh-oh, Israel's coming back. You know, and, and so some of the people in the area who were set up to rule the area, didn't want to see that happen. And there were even some Israelites who were making money off of the situation, didn't want to see it happen. And so they tried to stop them. Now last week we talked about the first tactic was intimidation. They mocked them, they tried to scare them, they even threatened to attack them, which never happened. So last week we saw that. Today we're going to pick up on that and we're going to see the next moves that they tried. Uh, you know, usually the first one's don't work, or you don't know they work. Because if you get mocked and you're afraid to get mocked, then you never try anything, so no one knows that that worked. But usually once the work begins, that doesn't stop it. But these next ones usually do. So we're talking about fears, lies, and compromise. So we're going to pick up right at the end of the fear, because fear is where we, where we left off last week. Now, one thing I have to say that, that we need to remember is that there are concerns which aren't the same thing as fear. We're told not to live in fear, but that doesn't mean we're never ha supposed to have any concerns. Obviously, we have concerns. There's a difference. Nehemiah did his duty. Before he all started, if you can remember 14 weeks ago, when God first laid this on his heart, he drew up plans. He, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew which permissions of which governors he's going to have to have. And he knew he'd have to have the king's permission. And by the way, the king's money. And he worked all that out ahead of time before he ever began. But he gets there and he sees things are worse than he thought. Because for the first time, he actually gets to see how bad it was. Plus, he got to see this, the political situation in the area. So sometimes you take on something, and you think you've done all your due diligence and all your planning. And then you get there, and you find out there's, it's worse than you thought. And so like any good civil engineer, he adapts. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to adapt. I'm going to start working on this, and I've got to add this. And that's when the attacks began. Now, the attacks want to change concern to fear. And that is where we want to make sure we don't fall. It's very easy to go from concern, which is just being a good steward, into fear, which is not coming from the Lord. Now, this is 1 John verse. We've talked about this one before. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. God does not send fear. God can't because when God enters the room, fear runs away. Right? God couldn't have fear if he wanted to because fear runs as soon as he gets there. Perfect love casts out fear. And so if you are feeling fear, where concerns move to fear, you're actually afraid of something to where it's like, it's like seizes you. And sometimes fear seizes you where it like 
you can't move because you're so afraid or you can't sleep because you're so afraid. If that kind of thing is gripping you, you need to know that's not coming from God. It's not coming from God. And anytime anything really strong spiritually is gripping you and it's not from God, guess who it's from, right? And it's one of Satan's best tools is to make you afraid. And he can get you really wound up with fear. And he, what he does is he feeds you half-truths and lets your own fear take it from there. And this is how he deceives people. And so we got to understand that. We also have to understand that this is a sign. If Satan is trying to make you afraid, this is a sign you need to trust God. In fact, I would say that our trust in God should intercept our life to the exact point we feel the fear. Because he's trying to make us afraid for a reason, and this is a time we refuse to do that. Instead, we trust God. If you trust God, if you bring God into the equation, the fear goes away because God's there, and he casts out fears. So now let me show you how Nehemiah handles this. By the way, pitch perfect throughout the whole thing. And Nehemiah is just one of these amazing people who just always seems to handle things the right way. He's kind of like Joseph. He just always handles things the right way. In these days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, if you, if you remember from last week, was kind of like the henchman of the governor of the area. And Tobiah was actually part Jew. Uh, the other guy, Sanballat, was not, uh, but, but they kind of ruled everything together. And since there were some family connections to him, some people were sending letters about what was going on here in Jerusalem. And so uh, they were telling him because of the, they had bound an oath family to family kind of a thing because they kind of looked out for them uh, at times. So they were telling me about the good deeds and then reported my words back to him. So he's talking about what a great guy Tobiah was and he's going to take this stuff back. And then Tobiah sent letters to him directly when he had that conduit set up. He sent him directly, and the letters were just to frighten him. Now, he doesn't tell us what's in them, but we get an idea because we're going to see some more things that were said later about how would he frighten him. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. He said, for all of them were trying to frighten us because they thought they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be finished. See, that's what they don't want to see. They try to stop it before it started, but now they don't dare let it get finished. Because once it gets finished, they're afraid Israel's going to rise up as a nation again. And they're right, but not in the way they think. And we'll see that in a second too. And he says, oh God, strengthen my hands. It's interesting he doesn't say strengthen my heart. He doesn't say, oh God, please give me the power. He says, you know what, strengthen my hands. I got work to do. And, and we see that really the way out, and this is, some, this is a sermon probably my wife, you know, the good Soviet woman she was, uh, is going to appreciate the way out of this is work. He actually just stays focused on the work. You'll see the whole thing. He didn't say strength in my heart. He said strength in my hands. Let me go do the work. Let me go do the work and not be caught up by all these different fear mongers who are trying to make me afraid. So when that wasn't working, they switched to lies. This is hard to take when people are lying about you. I don't know if you've had that happen. I have. It's really hard. When you hear people tell you things that you supposedly said that you never said, or that you did, well, it wasn't like that. And all of a sudden, you hear these half-truths twisted and lies. It is very, very difficult. Some of you had that at work. Some of us have had it in our family. It's frustrating, especially when people who seem like they should have known better know you, you know. They, why would you think that? Why would you believe this? Don't I get any benefit of the doubt anymore? And it's very, very difficult. So I want to I show you what happens now. This is some guy who's kind of an ally to Nehemiah, or at least he thinks he is. And he enters the house of Shemamiah. Now, he was confined at home. We don't know why. Some kind of, some kind of maybe an invalid or, you know, crippled of some sort. Maybe he was sick. We don't really know. But he's kind of a friend of a friend, a friend of a family. And he's confined to his house. So he actually goes to visit him. And we think it's because he actually called for Nehemiah. And he says, look, 
let's meet together, this is, this is his friend, in the house of God within the temple. Well, that sounds good. You know, you're getting attacked from all angles. Let's go to the temple, right? Let's go there. Let's pray. Let's go to church and pray. You're being attacked. Let's meet me in Spirit Chapel. Let's pray. That sounds really good. And but he says, goes on, says, let us close the doors of the temple. Okay, now it's getting a little weird. For they're coming to kill you. Uh-oh. And, and they're coming to kill you at night. So let's go basically hide out in the church. Let's lock the doors. They'll never get us there. Let's go hide out in the temple. And watch what his reply is. He says, should a man like me flee? A man like me. I don't know what that means, right? Because he doesn't really explain what he means, a man like me. Does he mean, hey, I'm the leader. I can't go hide. That's certainly be appropriate response. I'm the leader of this whole thing. If I'm hiding, what's going to happen to the work? Right? That's a, that's a very, very good response. Or it might be, I'm not that kind of a guy to run away from this. Let him, let him come on. Or it might be, and here's what I think, he's already stood the ground last week and told everybody God's fighting for us. He said, don't worry about him. I've told everybody, don't worry about him. Now I'm going to go run and worry about him? Why would I do such a thing? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go in there. I just won't do it. And here's what's really interesting about him. He didn't say, let's go hide in my house. I have a safe place for you. He didn't say, let's go hide in, in a building that I know of. They'll never think of you. Or let's get out of town, you know. He actually says, let's go to the church. And this is interesting to me because if really, if you want to hide from doing God's work, church is a pretty good place to go. Just saying. Because if you ever want to hide from God's, doing God's work, you think, well, I'd never go to church. No, it's like hiding a leaf in the forest, right? You go hide in the church and you just keep saying no to what God's telling you to do. And no one will suspect it because you're in church. That's a really good place to go hide out. I know a lot of people who are in the pastorate who are basically hiding out right now because uh, they don't want to do the work God gave them to do. I'll just go hide out in the church. It works uh, as far as the people go. God sees the heart is the problem with that. And so then he goes on and says, look, at this moment I perceived that God had not sent him. He uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalay had hired him. He was hired for this reason that I may become frightened and act accordingly and sin. So they might have an evil report in order they could use it against me. All they needed me to do is hide out. And that would become public knowledge to everybody. He's hiding. He's scared. He's telling you all to be brave. And he's hiding. And they're going to use that to ruin the morale of the people around him. It's really, really interesting to me, though, that the word used here, and it's actually a good translation, is prophesy. In other words, this guy said, God told me they're coming to kill you this night. God told me. Hey, there are a lot of people who speak for God <laughs> who shouldn't be. And I'm telling you what, if you've ever been told by somebody, God told me this and this did not happen, you need to really start looking at that person a little suspect. Because in the olden days, they would do something very special with someone who prophesied in God's name and then it not come true. They took them outside and killed them. That's what they would do. Because you don't speak in God's name and have it not true. God doesn't lie and every prophecy of God's comes true. So, and God even says, here's how you know it's me. It happens. If the prophecy comes true, that was me. If it doesn't, it's choppy chop time because they didn't put up with false prophets. They were told not to put up with false prophets. We seem to give people the break. Ah, they were wrong that time. I'll go back and listen to them again. What's, what's the point of that? We need to know that not everybody who prophesies in God's name is sent from God. And that's something you need to know in your life because a lot of us know a lot of people who, you know, they seem like great Christians and they come to you and say, I think that God gave me a word of the Lord to you. You need to really, you know, don't despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to that which is true. And if someone has given you a prophecy which is not true, you need to remember that. And remember that very clearly because they're going to come to you again 
And um, you know, we don't, we don't want to have this, well, 50% of the time I was right. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in fact, Isaiah, uh, they says this, it says, um, look, they say, he's talking about Israel, to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. You know, how many times I know, I, I actually had someone, well, I, I need to pray Pray uh, for me. I have a bad decision, a t- difficult decision to make. Would you pray for me? Uh, because I, I need wisdom. And again, I've said this before. You need to know that we don't do that. Or I don't do that. Because Bible tells you flat out in James, you ask for wisdom, God gives you wisdom, and you have to believe that, or you're like a shifting ocean. So, you know, so don't ask me to ask God for wisdom for you. Because he says, no, you just ask and he'll tell you. But I've, I've had conversations with people. I said, well, what's going on? They explain it to me and they tell me all the different people they've talked to already and, and, and had prayed for him. And they still, you know, they haven't gotten the answer they want. So they keep looking for somebody else. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not adding my prayer to the heap. You know, you can go on down, pass me over, go to the next guy. Because we can't just keep looking around until somebody finally tells us from God what we want to hear. Oh, good, finally God told me what I want to hear. I'm going to go do that. We need to understand that God speaks through many ways, and his Bible's first and foremost. And he usually then will pick somebody close to you. Uh, if he's looking for a person because he knows that person has a relationship with you. It's very rare you know, that some homeless guy from the street is going to walk up to you with the word of the Lord. God can do it, but it's uh, very, very, very rare. So th- now they're going to move. They're going to, since they, they try to tell him lies, so now they're going to tell lies about him. Now that didn't work. Now we're going to move to the second thing. If I can undermine the leadership of Nehemiah, then people are going to fall away. Doesn't this happen a lot? How many times do we fall away from organizations or churches or a lot of different things because we don't like the leader? If we can undermine their character, well, I'm done with this. I'm just delusional. I can't tell you how many people are not in church today because some preacher somewhere did something immoral or wrong in their sight. And then they just leave church. It's like, I don't get it, you know. It's like, well, I went to a car dealership once, and the guy cheated me, so I will never buy a car again. It's just the strangest thing. You know, you would never do that, right? But people do that with church all the time. I was in a church one time, and it hurt me, and I'm out. That's it. Never going back again. If we can undermine the leader, right, for some reason, when it comes to churches, that's it. We're done. We're never going to church again. All churches are liars because one guy lied to me. It's crazy. Anyway, so Samuelet sends a servant to Nehemiah. With an open letter in hand, that's important, right? Because you normally would send this as a sealed letter, which would be only for him. He said as an open letter, so absolutely everybody else could read it. That's why it's open. And it was written, it is reported among the nations that you and the Jews here are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king, according to these reports. In other words, the whole reason for this is that you're going to bring Israel back and they're going to start a revolution against the Persian nation, which right now has that land, right? And in fact, you've told prophets to go into Jerusalem concerning you, saying prophecies, and to say a king is in Judah. So you're actually sending them out to say this. And now this whole thing is going to be reported back to the Persian king, and he's going to hear everything. That's pretty bad. Right? Because that could, uh, he's there with the king's support. If the king believes these lies, they're going to come with an army and they're going to kill him. They're going to take him, they're going to chop him off, you know, before he gets started. So they're basically saying, we had this whole thing worked up. If you don't stop, we're, we're going to make sure that the king stops you. We've got this whole big plan. And uh, instead, Nehemiah sends a message back saying, such things as you were saying have not been done. You've been inventing them in your own mind. You're living in your own little fantasy land. That's never happened, and I'm not going to give this another moment of thought. Now, part of the reason why Nehemiah could do this was he was personal friends with the king, and he knew the king would never believe it. 
right? And he knew there was really no evidence of it because uh, he knows he had never done such a thing. He was here for one purpose, and that was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the only reason he was doing it, the only reason, was because God told him to. That's it. If you remember back at the beginning of the story, when he heard about the walls being torn down, it broke his heart. So he went there to rebuild the walls. Why? He has no plan beyond that. That's the only reason he's going. God told me to do this one thing. I'm going to go do it. As far as he was concerned, I believe he's going to go back home and be the cupbearer of the king after this. I did what I came to do. I'm done. I'm out. I did it. He was just being obedient to the burden that God had placed on his heart. Sometimes we get so caught up on what's coming next. Don't worry about what's coming next. If God needs you to do what's next, he'll tell you. Just go do what you... And so he knows his hands was clean. He didn't have any ambitions beyond doing what he's doing. And now we get to the third, the third thing. So if the fear didn't work, lies aren't working, now we're going to go back and we're going to ask them to compromise. And you know how compromise works. I guess we'll figure out compromise, right? Oh, yeah. Audrey and I, we compromise all the time. Like when we got our first apartment, she wanted to get a cat. I didn't want to get a cat, so we compromised and got a cat. <laughs> That's too bad, Bill. That's not going to happen to me. Jennifer's allergic to cats. So am I. <laughs> well, then why'd you let Audrey get her way? You have a biology textbook around here? <laughs> okay, so the problem with compromise is it seems like it's a great thing. I mean, in fact, today I would say in our society today, to be, um, to, to be rigid in your beliefs is probably the worst thing you can be. A lot of people will tell you that. I mean, it's kind of taught now. It's like, boy, if you, if you won't concede, if you're not, if, if, if you won't, like, accept other things, if you're, if you're unaccepting of other religions, or if you're unaccepting, you're a horrible person. You're like the worst person you can imagine. Uh, and you need to know something. Jesus was very exclusionary. Very exclusionary. In fact, he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. Okay? There is no other religion according to Jesus, and you're a follower of Jesus, so it's okay that, you, that you're uncompromising. You can't compromise some things. Some things you can compromise. You can compromise on a price of a car you're selling or buying. Sure, that doesn't matter. But you can never, ever, ever compromise values because there's no such thing. If you think about that little thing they did there, okay, I want a cat, I don't want a cat. Let's compromise. Let's get a cat. Okay, there's no compromise. You can't get half a cat. I mean, you, you just can't do it. You know, I'll get a cat only Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You know, uh, People get married. Well, I don't want any kids. I want kids. Well, we'll compromise. How are you going to do that? How do you have half a kid? I mean, how, where is the middle ground on some things? And your values are the same way. When you have a values, I believe in God. I don't believe in God. Let's compromise. How do you compromise that? I believe Jesus is the Son of God and the, only, and, 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 and the one true way to God. Uh, I don't believe that. Let's compromise. How can you compromise on that? And that's the thing. Listen, more battles have been lost by what happens in beds than what happens on battlefields. When people start compromising, when you start getting into bed with other people and you start letting other things in, that's when the compromise happens. And so um, now Sambalai is going to try a different tact. And so he sends uh, Geshem the Arab, I like that, he's like the, I guess the only Arab there, uh, to the rest of the enemies, and he told them they built, rebuilt the wall, and no breach remained. This is scary stuff. They've actually got the wall entirely built now, and there is no opening in it. 
except where the gates go, right? At that time, I have not set up the doors and the gates, but everything else is set up. Now it's panic time over there. It's like, okay, we've tried everything. We tried to scare them, didn't work. We tried lies, it didn't work. Uh, we, we, we tried to get in there and, 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 and try to make them go and hide. We, we tried everything here. We tried fierce lies, and all we have left now is compromise. It's, it's, it's Satan's last move, although it turns out it's usually his best move. He always saves it for last, though, because if he can get you to stop, that's better. But he says, I'm going to compromise. So uh, they go, Sambalai says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Nehemiah, I think we got off the wrong foot here. Why don't we have a meeting? I, I think there's middle ground here. I think there is. I, I think we don't understand each other. Maybe I, you know, maybe I came in this thing too strong. All that stuff I talk about telling, you know, Antaxerxes, let's, let's just let that be gone. Let's just have a meeting. Let's find some common ground here. I'm the governor of the area. Uh, you know, you're clearly a man of, uh, I admire your character. Uh, I, I think maybe we get together, we can work something out. Compromise is far more, far more dangerous than straight opposition. Because it seems like maybe we should compromise, you know? Don't we all just want to get along at the end of the day? We all, we're all going to be here in the same area together. Maybe we should learn how to get along just a little bit. Jesus warns us about this. In fact, he says, you know, you're going to want people to speak well of you. You're going to want to hear good reports on you. You know, that's what you're going to want. He said, but beware when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Is what Jesus is saying. Because there's going to be some people who just aren't going to like you. Because you're preaching the gospel. Because you're preaching what I say. Because you believe what I say. That you're following what I say. There are going to be some people who flat out don't like you because of that. And if everybody likes you, that means you're not taking any stance. It's really easy to like somebody who never ever says anything that offends anybody, right? Uh, so in this day and age, it's, it's very hard not to offend somebody somehow, some way. But, but you know, uh, you know if, if, if you just like kind of wave with the wind, no one's going to say anything bad about you. But when you compromise your foundations that you've built up is compromised. And if you compromise the foundations, the whole thing can fall. You know, whenever any of structure is compromised, if we say that's a compromised bridge, next time someone says we should compromise, think about that. Compromised bridge. If there's a sign up and you're driving down a road <laughs> and it says bridge ahead, compromised. <laughs> you going over that bridge with your car? I'm not. You know, ah, it's probably okay. It's been compromised. But go ahead, give it. You're just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn around and find another route. Google, give me a new, a new route here. I don't want to go over the compromised bridge. Can I have a good bridge? I'll go around the valley. I don't want to go over the compromised bridge. But that's because that's a structure, right? And if you compromise your values, your life has begun decay. You may not know it at first, but as soon as the compromise works into the foundation of your life, which is your values, your whole value system starts crumbling. And, you, and everything falls down because you're, you're now built up on a very, very bad foundation. Now, Nehemiah is smarter than that. He says, they were planning to do evil to me. Now, this word for evil, by the way, the Hebrew word for evil, could mean actually they meant to kill me. And that's what some theologians believe. But it doesn't have to be. It could just mean they plan to deceive him and compromise him. That, that, that word evil sometimes means that, to lead astray, right? But it doesn't matter exactly to, because to, to Nehemiah, who had his, his focus just locked on, he, he, they all meant the same thing to him. If you're going to take me away from a person from the Lord, you might as well kill me. It's no good to me. I'm no good to the Lord. It's no good to me. And so he says, I, they're trying to do evil. And this is like my favorite, favorite part of Nehemiah. This is my favorite verse in the whole book. So I sent messengers saying, I am doing a great work for the Lord, and I cannot come down. 
I just love that. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Love to come down and have this little compromise meeting with you, but I'm actually doing great work for God right now, and I'm a little busy. <laughs> I can't come to your compromise meeting because I'm too busy doing what God called me to do. We all need to have that kind of a focus when we know we're doing God's will. You know what? I'd love to come down and do that. I'd love to get in the mud with you and argue. <laughs> I'd like to debate this with you all down, but I am doing great work for the Lord. I just can't come down to your level right now. I'm going to stay right here and continue. We need to remember that a lot of times people are offering you compromise, and it really isn't in your best interest to compromise. Hitler did not negotiate because he wanted to be fair to Poland. Right? I mean, the, the people who are trying to conquer and destroy you, and Satan is one of those things. Uh, the enemy is he's not trying to help you out here. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to make things better for you. No, he's not. That's absolutely not the case. And Nehemiah then ends by saying, look, why should the work stop while I come down to you? Hey, we're working here. We're making progress here. I'm just down to the gates. We're almost done. Why would I stop to talk? I have no desire to do that. I'm almost done. He's probably thinking he's going to go home. By the way, he doesn't, <clears throat> not right away. But he's probably thinking, I can go home. I have a place in a palace waiting for me. I want to finish the work that God put before me. I'm just going to finish. Finishing so hard, isn't it? I don't know. That's the hardest part for me is finishing. I'm a great beginner. You can ask my wife. I have all kinds of things begun. Finishing's hard, right? Finishing is just so, so hard. To me, one of the most amazing things Jesus Christ said was on the cross. It is finished. He finished uh, you know how much work he had to do while he was here in three years? He finished it in three years. It's like, I can't finish my kitchen in five. You know, it's like, what is going on? I have a hard time finishing. And that's what Nehemiah is saying. I'm close to finishing here. Why would I stop doing what I'm doing when I'm so close to finishing? I'm doing God's work here. Why would I stop now? Sometimes we're right in the middle of doing something God's called us to do, and somebody's trying to get us to compromise it. It doesn't have to be as great as building walls around Jerusalem. It might be changing our life. You know, I'm just starting to get things right in my life. Why would I stop now? Oh, come on, man. Just come out, come out this weekend. We'll go drinking like old times. You know? Oh, my parents aren't home. Come on over. There's all these different things, these little tiny invitations we get. But I'm I'm doing what God wants me to do right now. I'm so close to, to, to the next step here. I, why would I stop now? I'm, I'm winning. Why would I stop now? Ever feel like that way in your life? You're winning. You're really doing what God wants. And then you get pulled away. This is compromise. This is what happens to us. What in the world could be so important to you that would make you stop doing what God told you to do? What could it possibly be? Because whatever it is, do you understand it just became, just became an idol for you? It just became what comes between you and God. And now that has become your God. Jesus puts it this way. He says, look, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If, if you're ready to do work for the Lord and you've got your hand on the plow and you look back, you're not even fit for the kingdom of God. You're not fit for it because you're looking back now at something else wondering what you gave up. Or what am I, what about just staying on task here. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. We've got your hand on the plow. God says, I'm pulling you forward here. Come on, let's go. And he's like, I'm going to look back. One, one quick look, God. Just one quick look. No. He says, if you're doing that, you're not even fit for the kingdom of heaven, right? But we have to know Satan, for all of his faults, does not discourage easily. There was a story that I've told here, I think, before. These two pastors were bragging about people in their church. We do that. You know, we always brag about you guys. 
And uh, this one pastor said, well, I've got this little old lady who in her entire life has never said a bad word about anyone. He said, oh, I don't believe that. He said, no, 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 we'll have lunch with her, I'll show you. So they had lunch with her, you know, and, and she's like so happy to have two pastors in her house, you know. And this woman's husband would, had been a drunk and uh, eventually left her, you know. And so he thought, well, I'll, this is easy. He says, oh, so what's, uh, what was your ex-husband like? You know, and the woman said, you know what? As hard as it was for him, he always provided for me and the kids. And he looks over there, pastor, wow, that was pretty good, you know. And so a little bit later, he works in, hey, uh, what about that mayor that got caught in that scandal? You know, what what'd you think about that? Well, you know what? He really cleaned up the schools. Like, oh, okay, that's pretty good, you know. And every time he tries something, she'd always just have something nice to say. And then she goes to get their coats at the end, and he, he looks at his friend and says, you're right. This woman's never said anything bad about anybody in her life. He says, I told you. He's amazing. So he's getting ready to leave, and the guy's putting on his coat, and he, a thought hits him. He turns around to the woman and he says, what do you think about the devil? She says, well, he ain't lazy. And so, you know, I mean, this is the thing. Satan just doesn't discourage, right? And he's not lazy. He keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And so he kept coming here. You said no once. I'm going to keep asking. Four more times I sent letters. Come on, man. Just come on down. Just, just for five minutes, you know, 15 minutes. Come on. I'll bring sandwiches. Come on. Let's go. Four more times they invited and four times he answered them in exactly the same way. Because wanting to have the world like us while we're doing God's word work misses the whole point of the gospel. In fact, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. You're in good company. He said, if you belong to the world, it would love you. The world loves its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world because I've chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Here's the scary thing, though. Is compromise doesn't have to come from the outside. In Nehemiah's case, Sanballat, who was like the villain of the story, kept trying to get him to compromise. But in Jesus' case, it came from the inside. Now, we know about Judas, but that wasn't the only time the devil tried to get on the inside of Jesus' most trusted group of people. He came, to, he came at him through Peter once. And Jesus began to show them what was going to happen. You know, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's trying to tell them, I'm going to suffer these things. I'm going to be killed. He's trying to give them warning about what's going to happen with the crucifixion so they won't be so frightened and scared when it actually does happen. And so he's saying, I'm going to be killed. It's okay, though. I'm going to be raised up from the dead. And he's like, explain everything. And Peter takes him aside to rebuke him. And that means to admonish him, like to say, you're wrong. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy, right? Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, Jesus, whoa, whoa, come, come here. You are absolutely wrong, Lord you know, oh, oh, one who knows everything, the king, king of the world and God, you're wrong. I got I to gotta set you right. He says, this will never happen to you. Never. What are you talking about? You're going to be killed. That will never happen to you. He's trying to say, we'll, 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 we'll protect you. Don't worry. We got friends. I can get 5,000 people together as a flash mob to protect you. It will simply never happen that you're going to be killed. And Jesus understands that what's going on right now is that, Jesus, that, that Satan is hearing the enemy saying, oh, we can do this better than this. We don't need to lose this great person. There's other ways of accomplishing this. And so actually what Peter's actually doing, he's actually speaking the devil's words to Jesus. And Jesus realizes it because he turns, he says, look, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know what that must feel like to have Jesus Christ look you in the eyes, point in your face and say, get behind me, Satan. And you're like, I'm the only one here, you know. But what he sees is he sees Satan's influence in Peter's words. And he tells him this, you're a stumbling block. You're trying to make me trip up. I'm not going to. Because you're thinking not what God wants, but what man wants. Because Jesus didn't want to die. 
He didn't want to go through the crucifixion. He didn't want to go in through all that. And so here comes Satan through his own person saying, hey, you know, we don't have to do that. There could be other ways we could accomplish this. And Jesus says, get away from me. I know the truth and I'm doing God's work and you're just a stumbling block. Get away. So fears, lies, compromise, all these things. What is the solution? Well, the good news is it's one thing for all of them. So if you've been called in to do a work, and this is like a work outside, like a ministry, you've got a work in your family, your, your work or something, your, your business, or maybe it's on yourself. God's called you to do a work on yourself. Look, I need you to spend some time with me. I need you to, you know, whatever it is God's calling you to do, God's always tugging on our hearts with something. And you're, and you're doing it, and you start feeling afraid this isn't going to work out. Or you start feeling like, uh, I, I mean, people are lying about me. Now, now what? And, and you start to get caught up in that. Or, or you're like, you have, you have some kind of compromise. Some friend calling up, hey, take a day off. Let's go do this. Let's, like old times. You start feeling these things. What do you do? The, the, the beautiful thing is it's, it's one thing. What Nehemiah shows us, if there's nothing else, there's one thing to do in all those cases. Just do your job. Nehemiah just simply say, focus on the work. He says, look, I know what God called me to do. And until God changes his mind, I'm going to keep doing this. If God wants to lay on my heart something else, that's fine. I'll listen. But until God changes my direction, I'm going to keep doing what he called me to do. Get stubborn with it. It's okay to be stubborn. Let's be stubborn. I'm going to keep doing what God called me to do. I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to be stubborn for God for a change. Usually I'm stubborn, you know, to repent and to change. This time I'm going to be stubborn for God. I'm going to keep doing it. I may not be getting what I want right away. I'm going to be stubborn. Until God tells me I don't want you doing that anymore, I'm going to keep doing that. And so we see this happen in Nehemiah. He says, look, the wall was completed in 52 days. That would be astounding today with power tools, to tell you the truth. The fact that they cleared all the rubble. I mean, we're talking, we're talking about something around Spirit Chapel. We're talking about somewhere around the whole city of Jerusalem. The entire city. Can you imagine? The entire wall around a huge city. It was completely rebuilt. All the rubble cleared. And the gates hung. 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations surrounding it, they lost their confidence. Right. So they were trying to undermine us. When we got that up and they said they did it. And they did it in 52 days, they recognized that the work had been accomplished by the help of God. Listen, just stay focused on what God has called you to do. Whatever that is, just stay focused. Step by step, day by day, be stubborn. Until you tell me to do something else, God, I'm going to keep doing what you told me to do. It is amazing if you keep going through that, you come all the way through to the other side where the people who are attacking you are losing their confidence because what's happening in you is something they have never seen before and they have no explanation for because the power of God is seen. Would you all please pray with me?